Psalm 122 is one of the 15 psalms which are labeled songs of ascents. Uh, in Deuteronomy 16, the Lord instructed the Israelites to observe three annual feasts, the, the Feast of the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. And these, these songs of ascent, Psalms 120 through 134, um, would be sung by the people of Israel as they traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts. Uh, Psalm 122 would have been one of the songs that was actually sung when they had arrived at the city. So with that in mind, um, let's read the text together. Psalm 122, a song of ascents of David I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for... Um, the songs that we have sung. Thank you for the testimony of your goodness that is going on in our city. Thank you for our students. I thank you for the prayer that was offered for them and for the teachers. And Lord, we thank you most of all for your word. I pray that you would speak this morning from it. Help us. Help us to see. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. On October 17, 1989, people around San Francisco had left work early. It was game three of the World Series between the San Francisco Giants and the Oakland A's. It was scheduled to begin at 5.30 p.m. Freeways were more empty than normal because everyone had wanted to get either home or to Candlestick. At 5.04, the Loma Prieta earthquake struck the San Francisco region, including the packed Candlestick Park. I was only 13 years old, but, but even 30 years later, I can still vividly remember the cover of the Sports Illustrated that I guess came out that week or maybe a couple of days uh, later. It had one of the San Francisco players carrying a at least frightened possibly injured boy, uh, to safety. And I remember something else. I remember that it was the first week I heard Journey's song, Lights. I remember it because one of the local radio stations, no, probably every station in America, was playing that song that week as a tribute to the city of San Francisco. It was, it was a tribute to its people. The song by Journey, it, it's a love song, to the city of San Francisco. Here are a few of the lyrics. When the lights go down in the city and the sun shines on the bay, oh, I want to be there in my city. Oh, 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 oh. 
So you think you're lonely? Well, my friend, I'm lonely too. I want to get back to that city by the bay. Oh, 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 oh. Poetic, I know. It's sad. There's been mornings out on the road without you, without your charms. When the lights go down in the city and the sun shines on the bay, oh, I want to be there in my city. Oh, oh, oh. At 13, I was so intrigued by this song. The lyrics were strange. They were different than anything I'd ever heard. There was a beautifully haunting melody. I noticed how the singer, Steve Perry, laments that he's out on this this road away from the blessings and the charms of his precious city. And I wondered, why would a grown man write a love song to a city? Listen. Listen. Psalm 122 is a love song to a city. There's something about Jerusalem. It makes King David just burst out in jubilant song. He loves the city and its benefits. And in this psalm, David, he commends the city and its benefits to all who will hear. He calls for people to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And now, now, let's be honest even as Christians who believe in the inerrancy and the sufficiency of God's Word, some of us are tempted to wonder this morning, what does a 3,000-year-old song about a city I've never been to possibly have to do with my life today? Some of us are tempted to think that. I was tempted to think it. If you'll stay with me for just a few minutes, I think we can see how this short psalm actually has a lot to say to us. I believe that a quick look at the rhythm of Israel's past can play a profound role in shaping how we understand and experience our present and how we long for and look forward to our glorious future hope. So let's do that. If you've got your Bible handy, just stay right here in 122. If we want to begin to understand this psalm, we have to do a little context work. As I said earlier, this psalm, it's a song of ascents. Now, I've been going to church since someone had to carry me there. And the first time I heard anything about these songs of ascents was just a couple years ago. I I was probably 38, 39 years old. I I never noticed that title in the scriptures. No one ever told me that these were songs that people would sing. Um... As they, as they marched to Jerusalem for the feast. Um, but a few years ago, my friend Tim Tinsley, who preached here uh, just a, a few months ago, he preached through these Psalms of Ascent. Uh, and, he, and he pointed that out, that these were the songs that would be sung on the way to the feast. You know, that helped me a lot. That, that helped me when I'm reading these Psalms. Um, but then yesterday, I read something else about these Psalms. One commentator I read pointed out that the songs of ascent should be seen as five groups of three. Now, don't get, don't get bored yet. This is important. Five groups of three. And the first psalm in each group points out a situation of difficulty or pain or persecution. Okay? And then the second psalm in each group highlights God's ability and intention to keep or save or sustain His people. And then the third psalm in each group celebrates the security that the people of God have in Zion, or the city of Zion, Jerusalem, and Jerusalem's God. 
Now, I had never heard this before. So I checked it out. I thumbed through these 15 psalms, and you know, I think he's right. I think there's something to that. Now, we can't look at each group this morning, so let's just take the group that our psalm, Psalm 122, falls in. So that would be Psalms 120, 121, and 122. So let's check it out. If the commentator's right, Psalm 120 should be a psalm of lament about some difficulty of living in this fallen world, some point of pain or difficulty. Let's, let's look at Psalm 120, verse 1. In my distress, I call to the Lord. Okay. He's in distress. What's he distressed about? Verse 2. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. He longs for justice and truth to reign. What else? Look at verse 5. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. He longs for his city. He doesn't belong where he is. He's only sojourning there. He lives in a tent. No permanent dwelling. No security. But he continues in verse 6. Too long. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace. But when I speak, they are for war. He longs for peace. Justice, security, and peace. And he laments his situation. Okay, so far so good, right? One, Psalm 120, it fits this, this paradigm. Uh, so again, if the commentator's right, Psalm 121 should speak of God's power to keep and save. Right? Let's see. Psalm 121, verses 1 through 4. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Where's he going to find help that he needs in this difficult sojourning? Verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The people who are oppressing this sojourner, they're flesh and bone. I mean, ultimately, what can they do? But the one who helps him is the creator of everything, seen and unseen. And how is God going to help? Verses 3 through 8. Listen, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Wow. <laughs> I mean, what a promise. What a promise. So it, it appears our commentator is onto something. Psalm 122, Psalm 120 spoke of this difficulty in this fallen world, in this foreign land. The psalmist longed for justice, security, and peace. Psalm 121 shows how the psalmist, he lifts up his eyes to God, he, to the hills even, and he seeks help from the Lord. He receives assurance that God is keeping, that he's a keeping and saving God. This context of our psalm this morning, uh, it's important. Because if we read Psalm 122 without it, we're going to miss some things. And if the pattern holds, Psalm 122 should point to the security and provision of Zion, or Jerusalem, and her God. So with this context established, let's just read through Psalm 122 again and see how the justice, security, and peace 
that the writer of Psalm 120 is longing for. He's in the country. He's longing for it. In Psalm 121, he sees hope. And in Psalm 122, we're going to start seeing what happens when he gets to Jerusalem. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Everything the psalmist in 120 longed for, justice, security, and peace are found in Jerusalem and her God. He was being harmed by deceitful lips, and he longed for justice to be done. In Jerusalem, there are thrones for judgment. The thrones of the house of David. He lamented his status as a tent-dwelling sojourner in a far-off land. Jerusalem is built as a city bound tightly together. It's the city to where the tribes go. His people, they go to seek this keeping God. He he longed to experience peace. And in Psalm 122, David calls the reader to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That it would remain and grow. That the city that held the Ark of the Covenant and therefore the presence of God in the house of God would know endless peace for the glory of God and the good of His people. So three times a year, with that in mind, the tribes of the Lord, those whom God had redeemed from slavery in Egypt... They left their towns and their villages. And they began a pilgrimage across the region. And as they traveled, they had the word of God on their lips and the hope of God in their hearts. And as they began to converge into the city gate, guess what? The sound of their singing could be heard for miles, miles and miles. And this singing, it swelled into a glorious chorus. They entered the city at some point. They moved into the city to worship the living God in the house of God and to experience the feast they had been summoned to enjoy. Isn't that what we've done this morning? Raise your hand if you live in Old Town. Anybody here live in Old Town? Man. Okay, I hope this doesn't get worse. Uh, (laughs) What about the Palisades area? Anybody? Okay, all right, all right. What about off Corral Road? Anybody live off of Corral Road? Okay. What about Walden? A couple people, okay, Walden's a big one. Who lives on the side of the mountain? Like halfway up, okay? Who lives at the very bottom of the mountain? All right. Who is here this morning who has come from some far-flung city like Chattanooga (laughs) or Soddy Daisy or Ottawa, huh? Okay, Seattle? I wish I had known you were going to be here. That would have been a good one. Um, You see, we're the tribes of the Lord. (laughs) 
We who have put all of our hope in Christ are the people of God. The people He saved out of bondage to sin. We are redeemed, but we sojourn in a land of deceitful lips, don't we? We long for peace and security and justice, and we know where to find it. When we face difficulties of living in this fallen world, we lift our eyes to the hills. We remember that Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this morning, we, the redeemed of the Lord, we left our houses, these temporary dwellings, and we have gathered together in the presence of God. Our singing swelled to a great chorus, didn't it? We sang, all hail the power of Jesus' name. We sang, better is one day. We sang, we will feast in the house of Zion. Our singing, it swelled into a chorus. And as we assembled to give thanks to God and celebrate the feast of the Lord, the Lord's Supper, which we will soon enjoy together. You see, the rhythm of Israel's past has become the rhythm of our present. Now listen, if you had to be dragged here this morning, if you hit the snooze button five extra times, if you came in here on two wheels because there was so much to do, about 1040, let me commend this little group of songs to you. I'm not judging us. The Word of God is, is offering this rhythm. This rhythm of seeing the brokenness, knowing where to find hope, and gathering together to celebrate it. This love song to Jerusalem, it's a herald. The things we long for, they're found here. Not at Mountain Fellowship per se, but in the family of God. Meaning, purpose, truth, love, peace, justice, rest, hope, all are to be found in Christ. And as we gather together each week, we rehearse this pattern. We lament the brokenness we see all around, we acknowledge the promises of God, and we gather together to celebrate the deliverance that He's provided and to give Him thanks. It's the rhythm of the Christian life. It's not the same as Israel, right? It's different, but there's continuity. Now, all I've said, I hope, has been true and helpful. This weekly rhythm of gathering to worship the Lord together as sojourners in this land, um, it, it's a profound and beautiful reality. But, but we can't stop here. See, there's something far more in Psalm 122 for us to see. As good as this is, as good as this Christian walk is, the presence of God that we already experience, as good as it is, there's something more. Not only do we live and enjoy God and all His benefits now, but we have a great hope for the future. 
This is where David's love song to the city begins to challenge us and stretch our hearts to comprehend what God is doing. I love what Nathan picked for... um, I'll, I'll try to find it without this being awkward. Augustine's quote, Our soul is like a house, small for you to enter, but we pray that you will enlarge it. I mean, that's what's going on right here. That's what's going on. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. There's a unity and a firmness in this city. The interesting thing is that that at the time that this psalm was written, the city was hardly done. In fact, the temple hadn't even been built yet. That surprised me. This, This glorious city that David is celebrating his presence in and calling all to come, it was still only a shadow of what it was going to someday be. When David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, it was put in a tent, just like it had always been. Even in the heart of King David, there was an element of expectation, of longing and a hope of fulfillment. Not only that, Jerusalem had not always been the city of God. Before the Israelites took the promised land, there had been a Jebusite city on that hill where abominable things were done. But God conquered it, and He redeemed it. So Jerusalem was a city of sin, redeemed by God so that He could write His name on it, that He could dwell in His house among His people in it. And in David's time, the city was being built up, even as his presence already dwelled within it. Does that sound familiar? Look back at 1 Peter 2 from our bulletin. It's a New Testament lesson. Page 4. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now listen, as you come to Him, Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, and now he quotes the Old Testament, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What is all this business about living stones? It's a little hard for us, isn't it? What, what is he talking about? I think Revelation 21 sheds some light. Now, this might be the first time anyone has gone to Revelation to clarify things. I'm just going to say that. But I think it does. Listen to Revelation 21, some selected verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, the house of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And verse 7, Then came one of the angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven plagues and spoke to me saying, Listen, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now notice how he identifies the bride here. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the bride and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. The city is the bride of the Lamb. The new Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. And I wondered to myself, why would a lamb marry a city? Because the church is the new Jerusalem. Now, if you've never heard this before, I know it sounds odd, but Revelation 21 is clear. This new Jerusalem, this new city of God that has been prepared by God to be the bride of His Son, it's the church. We know that from the rest of the New Testament. You see, David's love song to Jerusalem is really God's love song to His people. David's love song to Jerusalem is God's love song to His people. You see, there's difference and continuity even between what we experience on Sunday morning and what we're going to experience later. Here's what I mean. In the old Jerusalem, there was still a level of separation between God and His people. You could be in the city and still not in the house of God. In the new Jerusalem, the situation is far better. Peter tells us the new Jerusalem is it's a living city. It has life coursing through it. And it's built using living stones, the saints of God. And, and these living stones are built up into this living city and they are on the foundation of the living Christ. The chief cornerstone of God. And when every stone has been put in place, God will go there and dwell with His people forever. That's what Peter's talking about. 
this situation for us is far better. Revelation 21 speaks of an intimacy between God and His people that can only be rivaled by the bliss of Eden. God will take His finger, as it were, and gently and lovingly wipe every tear from every eye. He will be our God, and we will be His people, and He will dwell with us and in us as the house of God. That is amazing. I'm not going to even pretend that I'm standing up here understanding this. So if you're a little dumbfounded, that's okay. But this is amazing. Jerusalem was a city of sin. We were a people of sin. God redeemed it and He put His presence within it. God redeemed us and put His presence within us through the Holy Spirit. God wrote His name on the city. God writes His name on the life of every believer. He claimed the city as His own. Christ claims you as His own. And in this present rhythm, this present rhythm of lamenting the fallenness in our own hearts and in the world around us, and of turning to God as our only hope, and then gathering with other believers to give thanks and celebrate, it's a beautiful rhythm. We, we should frame our lives on this rhythm. We should. The weekly gathering in song and celebration and feasting should set the corners and the heart into every life in this room. It should. But this rhythm is a rehearsal for something far greater. Something even clearer. Something even more intimate. There will come a day when the church on earth will be transformed into the church triumphant, the new Jerusalem. The place where God's Spirit dwells in us. <laughs> he will dwell with His people. God will finish the work that He has begun in us. And He will present us faultless before His glory to the bridegroom Jesus Christ by the bridegroom Jesus Christ. And when he does, there will be a great feast. A great feast. A great feast. <laughs> the marriage supper of the Lamb. And behold, the dwelling place of God will be with man. Now this morning we have gathered from different parts of the city to join our hearts together in anticipation of this great day. If you came for some other reason, adjust your motive. This, this body that we call Mountain Fellowship, life will course through its veins when we realize what we're doing here and why we come and who invited us and what He promises. Maybe you're not one of God's people. Perhaps you saw the caravan of pilgrims and you got in the back of the line and you followed just to see, out of curiosity. Maybe you heard the singing and you wondered, how could people in a world this broken have so much joy? It's offensive to me. But you heard it and you came in to see. 
If that's where you are this morning, and you are not one of the redeemed of the Lord, looking to Him for all your hope, and coming here to celebrate this feast because of all that Christ has done, allow me to invite you. (laughs) Everything you long for is found here. In the family of God. Let's pray. Father, these things are are high and lofty for us to consider. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways. Not in a million years would we have thought this could be true. That a holy, transcendent, creating, ruling God who cannot tolerate the presence of sin would invite us to His table. It is, it is, is more than we can understand, but we believe it. And this morning, as we celebrate this feast, as we remember you, help us, help us to have one eye looking forward to that great day and that great feast and that great reality when the dwelling place of God is with man. And we pray in Christ's name, amen.